You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl podcast. I am your host, Kristen. Today, I chat with Danger Will Robinson, who is an empath, singer, poet, blogger, channeler, astral projector, DJ, photographer, and he's a friend of mine. It's going to be a good one, folks. Before we get into it, if you haven't already, check out the podcast Somewhere in Dreamland, hosted by Ken Mark. It's an excellent, excellent show covering cryptids, UFOs, afterlife theory, simulation theory, anything that floats your paranormal fancy, really. He just did an interview with a group of guys about some stuff that's taken place nearby one of my many childhood haunts in Montana. Some sketchy, creepy stuff was going on right under my nose, and I didn't even know it. Anyway, I seriously dig his show, and I'm going to play his promo for you now. Are you into the paranormal, true ghost stories, Bigfoot and alien encounters, or high strangeness and conspiracies? Well, if so, then you should check out my podcast called Somewhere in Dreamland. My name is Ken Mark, and every week I interview authors, researchers, and experiencers alike in the fields of the paranormal, cryptozoology, ufology, and spirituality. So why not take a dive down that rabbit hole with me and search for Somewhere in Dreamland wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Somewhere in Dreamland. Go give Somewhere in Dreamland a listen anywhere you get your podcasts. Along with that, you should really check out Wicked Cat Clothing. I am so excited for Halloween and fall, but spooky season doesn't have to last just a month. Shop Wicked Cat Clothing year-round to get your horror, paranormal, spooky, and Halloween apparel. Go to wickedcatclothing.com and save 30% off on apparel and accessories with code PARANORMGIRL30. Let's go ahead and get to my guest. Please enjoy my conversation with Danger Will Robinson. My guest has had numerous and varied experiences with the paranormal for most of his life. In 2021, his blog, Where There's Will, was nominated for Best Blog in the Best of Portland, Maine Awards. He's an artist and a sensitive with personal stories to tell of astral travel and gargoyles and ghosts and signs from the afterlife. I cannot wait to talk about it all. Welcome to the show, Will. I am so glad to finally get you on. Hey, I'm excited to be here. It's been a little while, but here we are. We um, we had planned to do this, what, three, four weeks ago? And, and then, uh, you know, just kept getting set aside and set aside one thing after another. Well, life gets in the way sometimes. Well, it certainly does. Well, um, to start out, if you wouldn't mind, maybe give us all a bit of background or backstory on yourself. Well, I have lived in Maine for 26 years in the Portland area on the coast. Um, I always felt almost like a calling that this was gonna be my home. And when I got here, it was the first place that felt like home. You know, I grew up in your typical, you know, Irish Catholic family. We were Catholic, but we didn't really 
do much about it, but go to church. So I didn't grow up with a lot of religion or definitely no spirituality. And that was always something I sought out on my own. And I think it all started in Illinois when I was five. Um, I used to lay in my front yard and just talk to God. Not like the Catholic God, but just like the all knowing whatever was up there. And when people would ask me, like, is that your imaginary friend? I'd say, no, it's God. And then it was okay that I had an imaginary friend. Oh, wow. So, so this started really early for you. Yeah, I just knew there was a connection to something I wasn't learning at church. Okay, okay. Well, you have had some uh, really incredible experiences. The the ones you've told me about so far, um, premonitory dreams, actual encounters with ghosts and apparitions. You, you've seen and taken pictures of what can only be described as a UFO, but you yeah. also have empathic abilities you've astral projected you have sensitivities to things that uh, more and more people themselves seem to be waking up to these days so I'm very keen to get into all of that and uh, and I think that would be very beneficial for people to hear what you've got to say you know it's funny because I don't always feel like like I didn't realize until talking to you a lot about this how many experiences I'd have because maybe I've normalized them but in talking to you, over the last month or so, and you're like, wait a minute, are you kidding me? That happened? Did that happen? I'm like, wow, a lot of this stuff has happened to me. I've just always been open to it. Isn't that funny how you start to real when you start to think about it and going over same same thing, same thing on my side too. I I, I just didn't think I had those types of experiences either and then you start to think about it and you're like oh well this thing did happen this one time you know it's like the skeptic that's like oh no that doesn't exist but there was this one time you know and i'm not an automatic believer of everything either i mean anything that comes my way i find 10 reasons to debunk it first yeah yeah so you approach everything with a with a healthy skeptical dose you know an outlook yeah i I think you have to absolutely yeah no i agree well um before we we jump into all that, I, I want to be sure to give a good uh, spotlight to your blog uh, because it's amazing <laughs> for for my Thank listeners. You. What is your blog about, and uh, what motivated you to start it? Well, I had a blog uh, years ago, the early to mid two thousands. Actually, won the best of Portland award, and that blog back then had the same name. It spoke mostly about my life and dealing with my crazy family and my mom and all that stuff. And then it, you know, I just decided it was time to start a new one. And when people go to it right now, they're gonna be like, wow, you haven't written in a little while. It was a rough winter. And I always say it's the kind of pain that didn't inspire art just because it was so cold and dark here all winter, but writing's coming back. So I'm gonna start populating it more, but you know, I have, I've been through a lot in my life. I'm a sexual assault survivor. And I felt like that's something I need to talk about, especially as a man. So that other people can realize it's okay to talk about this. And yes, it's going to affect you the rest of your life. And I realize a lot of what I've been through in my life, a lot of the hardships, if I can share them with other people, maybe it can make one person feel less alone. I always say that, you know, it's, I'm not just writing to entertain the mind. You know, I want to like, I want to speak to your soul as well. I want to, you know, I want to change people's lives. I want to help people. And I also publish my photography, my poetry, my writing there, because those are all tools I use to navigate my life. You know, I'm dealing with grief right now, having just lost my dog and writing and photography and all that has really helped me, you know, in dealing with this right now. So I want to do that with my blog for other people. Yeah, isn't it weird? Uh, Some of the best art 
um, uh, with creative people comes out of them having gone through hell and grief and those really, um, really hard situations. And I think as an empath, a lot of times when I'm writing a poem, I know it's not my story. I feel like sometimes as empaths, when we're also artists, we take other people's experiences that we can feel that we tune into and then we can like, I'll write that song or write that poem. And I know it's not my story, but I feel like by writing it, I've taken someone else's pain, a little bit of theirs away. You know, like when I write a poem about my own grief, I feel better when I'm done. So when I write a poem, I feel like it's coming through me. I feel like that person's going to feel better when I'm done. Well, have you have you heard that thing uh, that uh, about empaths and empathic abilities that people who have that ability they don't have to have experienced something, anything, in order to know exactly what that feels like, what that experience is like. It's crazy. I mean, even when I was younger, I also I just feeling I could tell it was somebody next to me sad. Now I feel it. I never understood that growing up. You know, also when someone's really happy, like I get that too. It's not just all doom and gloom. You know, it's the whole spectrum of emotions, which is great because seeing two people in love and happy, I get to feel that. When somebody like jumping for joy, I feel that. I think we just notice more when we're feeling someone else's pain. And it was really hard when I was living in Chicago because I was in a big city for the first time. I didn't realize the thousands of people I would encounter every day on public transportation and walking down the street. And I was like, oh my God, I got to find a way to control this. I cannot. It's like you see a movie where someone can hear someone's thoughts and when they first hear it, they hear everybody's. That's what it was like. So I had to kind of learn how to just put a wall up like, I'm not going to feel everybody's thoughts. I'm going to try to make it so the ones I need to feel will come through. And I don't know how I did that, but I somehow succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's a very clear um, reading through your blog and your stories and your poetry um, that you were able to apply that to a certain extent, what you have picked up over the years. You make it very easy. And I've told you before how much I love your writing, but you, you make it so easy to follow the mental movie going on as the reader goes through it. Um, so I asked you beforehand, before we started recording, if you would be interested in sharing with us an excerpt of something that you had written. Um, and uh, we'll have the recording here. So set us up. What are we going to be hearing? It's from a story I wrote in college called Son of a Sailor's Daughter. It came to be from a creative writing class. I was at the theater school at DePaul University in Chicago. And as a class, we were tasked with coming up with three characters and a setting. And every one of us had two days to write a story with June, Father Jack, and the grandfather. And it had to take place in a garden by the sea. And that's all we had. And in my mind, I got this idea of one of those really great indie films you'd see in the 90s, set in the Mediterranean with all the flowers, everything was beautiful and just lush and the ocean and everything. And I wrote this story so fast and in, in almost a language I don't really speak. As you've read it, it's a very eloquent, timeless story. And I wrote it really fast because at the time the school was so busy. I always you remember you had like, all right, I have an hour to work on this project because I got all this the next two days. So I wrote it Tuesday. When I read it in class on Thursday, my teacher turned to me and said, I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you took those three things, four things we gave you and came up with a story I think I could have read in a book somewhere. 
And I just said, I don't really know how I did it either, but this is my story. And the whole class was kind of blown away by it, as was I. I think it, at the time it was one of the best things I'd ever written. And it really just kind of helped solidify for me my talent as a writer because it wasn't something that was encouraged when I was growing up in any way whatsoever. So it was just really nice. And it showed me that another talent I have is I can write from a title. I have friends of mine who are singers and they'll be like, I need a song, this is the title. And the next day I'll give them the song. Any genre, country, rock. So to be able to write this story in a more of an eloquent language that I speak just kind of showed me that, you know, it's a blessing to have this kind of talent as a writer. And uh, I like to joke that I'm a freelance writer because I put the free in freelance because I'm not going to stop writing whether I get paid for it or not. So this story is one of those that came out of that in college and I hadn't read it for many years and uh, I happened to find a stack of all my old stuff from school that had not yet been scanned onto a computer because this was back when colleges had computer labs. We didn't all have one at home. And so I started typing all these stories in, and then when I read this one, I didn't change a thing. And I wrote it in 1993, I believe. I didn't change one thing. All right. I am going to go ahead and play that now. This is an excerpt from my story, Son of a Sailor's Daughter. June grew silent. Then without a word, she stood and began making her way up the path to the cliff. She stopped three times along the way, each time picking a different flower. Father Jack followed closely behind and joined her as she sat on the wooden bench at the edge of the cliff high above the sea. The flowers lay in her lap. The wind blew in gentle gusts and they could scarcely hear the waves as they crashed onto the shore far below. June sat in silence, staring at the place where the sea and the sky become one. Can you hear a calling, Father Jack? June asked, staring at the horizon. No, June, I cannot, he answered, but it's not calling to me. What am I to do, Father? She sighed. Do I just stay here as my grandmother did and wait for a handsome sailor to join me in the garden? Or do as my father and go off and gallantly conquer the world? Your grandfather did both, he said. Yes, but he came from the sea to the garden. I've only known life here in the garden. She paused and then asked, Does this mean it is time for me to leave? June, Father Jack said, These are decisions that only you can make. I do believe in your heart are the answers. I know, and you are right, Father. The doctor says grandfather's deep sleep will give way to death before the sun rises tomorrow. Can you deliver his last rites before sunset? Yes, June, he replied. I'm going back to the house now. I shall prepare for the last rites and wait for you to join me. Thank you, Father. I will be there soon, she said. But for now, I shall remain here in my dwelling place and look into my heart. The answers are mine to find. Well, thank you for that, Will. Um, this one is especially uh, extremely vivid for me and does have a ton of metaphor going on. It's it's like reading classic literature in general. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. My gosh. Um, in general, where does the inspiration, where do you think the inspiration for creative writing comes from? Everywhere. You know, it's just, I think it's, it's life experience. It's the life I'm living, the life I want to live, you know, the life I have lived. I think everything, you know, I get inspiration from, like I said, I'll, a title will cross my mind or I'll see something on a billboard with some cool thing and I'll write a song about it. Story-wise, you know, I don't always know where it comes from. It just shows up when I, when I need it. Yeah. Well, I often see in like excessively 
talented people and, you know, creative writers such as yourself, like, that the stuff, it, it seems to flow so effortlessly and does seem to come from somewhere else, you know. Have you ever heard of the the zero point field? Actually, it just occurred to me. No. What is that? It's... um I'm going to bungle this really bad, uh, but it's it's this idea, it, you'll come across it if you start thinking of like uh, simulation theory and, and other dimensions and such. It's this theory of the, it's, there's this place in another plane, another another dimension, uh, where the past, present, and future are, are all there together. Everything is happening simultaneously, and creative types, you know, big artists and writers, they are actually pulling through they're accessing the information in in this zero point field um for things that they've never you know experienced before so that that basically that's where like inspiration and such can come from for uh, for a story when you know you you didn't know where it came from that that kind of thing i don't know it just uh well that's interesting because um something i talk about in my blog and you may not have gotten to it yet my whole life, going through all the horrible stuff I went through, there was always this voice in my head telling me, you're going to get there. You're going to be fine. You're going to get through this. And in 2007, I was tasked with writing a letter to myself the year before I came out of the closet. When I was writing that letter to myself, I had this epiphany that, oh, my God, it was my voice all along. It's been my voice the whole time. So my whole life, I've always talked to my younger self, even before that, like, you know, me at three. You're going to go through some stuff right now, but you're going to get through it. And to know that at 53 years old, I'm happier now than I ever, ever even dreamed could be possible. You know, I still go back and tell my younger self, like, you don't even know what's waiting for you. It's just, it's going to be so beautiful. The tunnel you're in now, it's temporary. You're going to get through that. And so that's like the zero point theory. Like, I believe that, you know, our full authentic selves, the energy and the soul part of us is eternal. And we have access to that anytime we want it. You know, I don't always know how to tap into it, but I do know that I heard myself all those years and I'm the voice that got me through. Like the, the song lyrics I just sh showed you the other day at the end, it says all along the voice was mine. You know, and I think that zero point theory, that's where I pull a lot of the stuff from. So I guess I did know about it. I just didn't know it had a name. Do you think it was the, the you now talking to that past Will? Yeah, I think it was, you know, in 2007, I recognized it, that it was my voice, but it wasn't my voice at the time. It wasn't 2007 me, but I recognized that it was me. So it's it's really just been, you know, I thought about that a lot over the years, but from the past probably 10 years or so, I've really just started just really talking to my younger self, like, hey, buddy, you know, you're 10 right now. I know what's going on and, you know, that kind of thing. And you know, like even telling the one story you read, The Great Christmas Battle of 1982. You know, I, I love talking to that kid because I love the spunk I had when I was 12. And, you know, I, I like to just interact with him, not just like, I'm sorry you're going through this, but hey, isn't this summer fun? Oh, it's so great. Like you're having the best summer of your life. It gets better, you know. I just think it's a really cool thing that I feel like it's my voice more in the past five years that was guiding me all the way because it's been like the past five years where I really dealt with a lot of the stuff I did through a lot of horrible things and got to a point where I can remember them without associating the pain with it anymore. And that makes those stories easier to tell. And that's why I can write about the sexual assault on my blog because it doesn't trigger me anymore. The pain's gone. You know, it's still going to affect me the rest of my life, but the pain that was associated with it, it's all gone now.
So it has to be the voice from this period of my life because I wouldn't have been ready before that to be guiding anybody anywhere. Oh, wow. That is, that is so, uh, so cool. That's so cool of you to, to do that for the past, you know, past will. Um, so uh, speaking of your blog, one of uh, my favorite stories that you have shared with me and, and is on that site is something called Night Owls. Um, uh, you know, you want to talk about mysterious, unexplainable. Um, I still think about this one sometimes ever since I first read it, just wondering about it. And, um, and I think it's kind of cool that it was something paranormal that occurred to you, um, and one other person, which you'll cover. Um, but you were also able to get it down into story format. So if you're prepared with that, I would love for you to share that one with us. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing about this story is it happened to my husband and I probably, six or seven years ago and I just wrote it I think I wrote it in 2021 and it's funny because I let my husband read it and he was like oh, yeah that happened and so it's just so funny because I'm married to a very pragmatic man who doesn't believe in anything spiritual for the most part to have experiences with me so we can let people know 95% of the story is true so that being said I will read you this story now it is called Night Owls we live at the end of a quiet street in South Portland, Maine, a place where everyone knows each other. From our windows, they watch the kids grow up and the dogs walk by. We smile and nod at each other when we drive down the street. This is the kind of neighborhood where you put down roots. It becomes a part of you, a character in your life. David and I are very different people. Whereas I'm spiritual, David is very pragmatic. Once we were driving from Midway Airport to my hometown in central Illinois, down roads, seemingly guarded by cornfields, he turned to me and said, wow, this explains everything. You're one of the children of the corn. I'm a corn-fed Midwestern boy who settled in Maine 25 years ago. I met David on one of my frequent work trips to Boston. When I finally convinced him to move up here, he used to joke that I couldn't find a man in Maine, so I had to import him, which wasn't too far from the truth. It was a cool autumn night, just a few days after we took the air conditioner out of the window, we lay in bed that night laughing and talking. After about an hour of banter, I smoked the joint and David finished off a glass of Prosecco. I turned on the fan and we turned off the lamps that we crawled under the covers. As soon as sleep set in, we rolled to our own places on the bed. My eyes snapped open. Something was different. The room was dark except for the small blue light emanating from the cable box across the room. I turned my head to the left and glanced at the clock on the nightstand. It was 3.33 a.m. I turned my head to the right to look at David. He was asleep. Something was off, but I couldn't put my finger on it. This is the kind of knowing that typically terrified me, but not tonight. Tonight, I was calm. Then I noticed something changed in the light from the cable box. Something moved. I kept waiting for panic to set in, but it wasn't there. However, I was now fully aware that David and I were not alone in our room. Slowly, I sat up in bed, wiping the sleep from my eyes. That's when I saw them. There were a dozen or so running around our bedroom between the television and the coffee table at the end of our bed. They were about a foot tall with silhouettes so dark I could barely make them out, but I could see them. I kept wiping my eyes and they were still there. I wasn't afraid. I watched them for a few minutes and then I heard my husband breathing. I leaned over and shook him. David, wake up, I whispered right in his face. Be quiet though. He opened his eyes. What's up, Keith? Be quiet, I said. Grab your glasses and sit up slowly and tell me what you see in front of the television. Keith, shh. Keith, what the fuck, man? It's late. 
David, put on your glasses and sit up, I said. Do it. David grabbed his glasses, rolled over, and shot me a look of annoyance. And then he slowly popped himself up in the bed. I watched his every move. Then he froze. What the? You see them? I asked, grabbing his arm. Yup, he said, not looking away. I looked back at the beings running around in front of our television. I couldn't tell what they were or what they were doing. There didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to their movement. They had human-like bodies, but they were not human. They were tiny, dark as shadows, and silent as silence itself. David, I said, letting go of his arm. What are they? Who are they? He asked. Hey, turn on the lamp. Are you sure? David asked. They don't seem to notice us. Why not just, just what? I said, sit here and wait for whatever they are to go wherever they plan to go next. At this point, we realized that regardless of our lack of fear, we needed to assess the situation. Calm or not, the situation needed to be handled. The shotgun is under the bed, David whispered. It's loaded. You lean over and grab it. When you have it, I'll turn on the light. I quietly leaned over the bed. I put my hand on the floor to balance my body as I leaned my head to look for the gun under the bed. When I looked under the bed, there were three of them running around. They didn't see me. The gun wasn't there. I leaned back up. The gun is in the furnace room, David. I moved it the other day. There are three of them under the bed. Keith, hold on. We need a plan. Those things are aggressive. They're between us and the door. My mind raced. I wasn't afraid, but what were we looking at? How could they not see us? I kept taking deep breaths and reaching up and squeezing David's arm, watching him run around our room, completely oblivious of him and I. Okay, I got it, I said. Grab the end of the comforter, and when you turn on the light, they notice us. We'll throw this over them and bolt out the door and up the stairs. And what if there are more upstairs, he asked. I'll grab the shotgun on the way up. Are you ready? He leaned over and reached for the lamp. He sat up quickly. There are five of them over here. Turn on the light, I whispered. David reached over and turned the lamp on, and we both sat straight up in bed. Every one of them ran through the back door out to the yard. It was closed and locked. They ran through the back door to the yard. David got up and leaned over to the ledge, looking out the window on his side of the bed. There's nothing out here. They're gone. David, did that just happen? David sat back on the bed and looked at me. That absolutely just happened. Whatever the fuck that was. What are they? I have no idea. We held each other's glance and they looked out the window. He was quietly shaking his head. Don't you think it's a little weird that we're so calm, I asked. I mean, you saw what I saw and we're not crazy, but that shit wasn't, I mean, come on. I believe in this shit. I don't know what that was. And the calmer I am, the more scared I get that I'm so calm. Keith, I don't know what to tell you. I saw them and you saw them. And we both saw them run through the door and pretty much disappear. But here we are calm, as calm as we're talking about the weather. I don't get it. So now what? I asked. I don't know, David said. What I do know is we both have to be up at 6 a.m. So can we just work this out in the morning? I got back under the covers and lay there trying to hold the image of them in my mind. I fell back to sleep. I woke up just before my alarm went off to the smell of breakfast cooking in the kitchen. I had vague memories of the night before and chalked them up to dreams. I climbed out of bed, slipped into sweatpants, and walked upstairs. David was making scrambled eggs. I smiled at him and wrapped my arms around him. Did last night happen? I asked. It sure did, he said. Should we be concerned? I mean, what the fuck, David? We saw something that just doesn't make sense. David smiled at me, turned off the stove, and began putting breakfast onto his plate. Something was different about him. David, he said, does this not worry you? What was that last night? It was nothing, Keith. He smiled over his shoulder. 
and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move. I thought it was one of the curtains blowing in the wind. And it was something else. Then David turned to me. He was leaning against the island in the kitchen. Those shadow people started jumping over the counter and creeping in from the living room. Fear set in. David, what the fuck, man? What's wrong with you? What are those? Seriously, what the fuck? David walked over to me as a smile caressed his face. He kissed me, then wrapped his arms around me and promised me that everything would be okay. Something wasn't right. His skin was cold and his eyes were empty. I pushed him away and ran for the front door. I grew weak. I felt like I was running in quicksand. I fell to the floor. I looked up at David and reached out my hand. He just smiled. The shadow people descended on me and darkness took over. The end. <laughs> I I love the way that you that you end that. Um now so the ending never happened, but everything that happened up to when we both went back this week, that happened to us. We were just talking about it last night. And he'll tell our friends about it. I'll bring it up and my husband Rodney will be like, Yeah, I saw him. Crazy thing is they were green to him and they were black to me. So okay, so so both you and and Rodney experienced this. The and mm-hmm. as you said, he's he's a, a pragmatic, skeptical type. You have discussed it with each other, I'm sure, numerous times. You you share it with others willingly. What have you both? What are what are some of the thoughts or conclusions as to what these creatures or entities uh, were or what they were up to? Have you have you talked about that? Not so much with him because he's like I don't know. That's literally how he looks back at the situation. And sometimes I wish I had that pragmatic quality about me that I don't have. I, I react to everything emotionally, which is why I'm surrounded by pragmatic people. It balances me out. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what it was. For me, I feel like we saw something we weren't supposed to see. And because we weren't supposed to see it, it's not of this dimension. We couldn't see it for what it truly was. It kind of reminds me how, they, how in the Bible they will say, or religious people will tell you, angels appear to you the way you want to see them because literally your brain would explode if you saw them as they really were. And there was an old episode of the Twilight Zone when it was revamped in the 80s, where these people got stuck in a time loop where they were seeing the beings that build time. So they they got they weren't supposed to see it, but the beings were like, oh, we build time. We keep time going for you, but you're not supposed to see us do this. Some people kind of get caught in this like little blip, a wrinkle in time, and they see us, but we'll get you back to where you're going. So we, I just kind of feel like we just saw something that it's, probably here right now we just weren't supposed to see it for whatever reason we both saw it because he could i was expecting him to sit up and say to me i don't see that and i would say back they're right there so when he saw them i was relieved which was odd because what the hell was going on there but you know i just kind of feel like you know the universe is huge i'm sure there are many other dimensions there's many other planes out there i think every now and then when you're connected or even when you're not like my husband, maybe he just got to see it because he was with me. We get a glimpse of something that we're not supposed to see and that we can't comprehend. Yeah, there there is that that creeping uh, factor to it that absolutely that, that maybe maybe you both woke up when you weren't supposed to wake up and and you startled them because they weren't expecting the, the humans to uh, wake up uh, real quick. I, I just had a random thought. I, uh, the green color. Was it? Rodney that saw them as green? Yeah, I saw them as silhouettes. I could barely make them out. And then it was one, I saw one of them because, you know, we had one of those annoying cable boxes where I don't know how I slept with that thing on. The, the clock was so bright. Like I could just make out 
the shape of it. Like it looked like it had arms and legs, but not like shaped so much like a human. And they're just kind of randomly like, like they should have been running into each other, but they weren't. But they weren't in any kind of unison. And they didn't even seem aware of each other. Rodney would joke sometimes that he thinks they were minions. And I'm like, well, I would like minions. Minions can hang out at our house anytime they want. And that's kind of like in Seal the Minions in the movie. They're just kind of running around all over the place. Yeah. That's kind of what it was. <laughs> well, did he ever describe the grain as luminescent or did it have like a glowy type effect? He said he saw, yeah, he said it was kind of dark, glowy green. Okay. I, I, I wanted to make a point to kind of describe them further in case anybody listening, any any of my cryptid right. uh, experts who has ever heard of an entity like that, I am so very curious to know. And, and I'm sure, Will, um, you would love to know that and, and hear that from oh, somebody yeah, as too. well. I mean, if someone's like, oh, they're, they're this thing. Yeah, it happens all the time. Don't worry, you're safe. Or you guys lucked out. They would have killed you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And well, it's weird because, like, the ones in front of the TV, I, I saw them as, like, a foot tall, but we don't have a foot of space under our bed, but I saw the three under the bed. So I, I don't really know how big they were. Maybe they just adapt to the space. I mean, if they could run through a door, they could fit under a bed. This uh, this experience is interesting, too, because it, it can really speak to stories that I've heard about, you know, others who have... Um, experienced the paranormal, you know, two or more people experiencing the paranormal, something paranormal at the same time, but seeing different things entirely. That's not an uncommon occurrence or, or they hear different things entirely. Something still happened, but they received different information from each other for some reason. Well, fascinating story, Will. Again, uh, thank you for sharing that. So, at this point, we do still have some time here. I, I'd love to dive into some of your other encounters and experiences with the paranormal. You said you this all started for you at about five, and it was conversations that you were having with God. What about um, uh, in you know earliest encounters with uh, things that you could you could see, not just a voice that you could hear, but uh, what what were some of the earliest things that you started seeing? I didn't have a lot of those experiences as a little kid. I started having these crazy night terrors when I was a teenager where, so you know the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie where she's in the bathtub and he pulls her in and it's like they're in this huge, like endless water thing and it's dark. I felt like I was being pulled into kind of like another plane. And it was just, it would terrify me because I could just tell that there were very bad things in this plane and I had to get out of it. And I would fight and fight and fight to wake up. And this would scare like my barrack when I was in the army in the barracks, like my, my bunkmate, like, my God, dude, what is wrong with you? What you're like yelling and screaming in your sleep. And I'm just like sweating and like, I couldn't even describe it. And then at one point when I had that dream, a gargoyle showed up and sat on the windowsill next to me and he took my hand and then I felt safe. And it wasn't for like two more years that I found out the gargoyles ward off evil spirits. But I was with the gargoyle. I kind of had this understanding that, oh, you're here. This is where everything exists. All good, all evil, everything in between. This is, you're not on earth. It's not like you're in heaven or you're in outer space. This is that plane. And you got to be careful on this plane because the bad stuff is there and it is just waiting to pounce. So you have to be protected when you're there. And that was really profound. And that's kind of what led me into, you know, experimenting with actual projection when I was in college. 
But even then, I always made sure I protected myself. I've always had a sense of who my guardian spirit is. And uh, I just always called on her to be be there with me. And I, I don't visit there as much like I used to because I still understand that it's not a safe place to be. Um, but I didn't start experiencing actual ghosts until I was living here in Portland, Maine. And my second apartment was haunted as all get out. But it was just kind of funny the way... We just kind of lived with the ghost and every now and then we joke, you'd be like, you know, you, you could help pay rent. You're going to open doors and make all this noise at night. You can actually pay us some rent. <laughs> and then the one, the pictures you saw uh, from Cape Cod Cemetery were, I mean, I don't know what we photographed there, but it was Friday the 13th at night. And we started talking to this family on their plot and all of a sudden you can see things reaching for us and like, hi, we're here. We hear you. We hear you. We were never afraid in that instance at all. But you can see in the photos, it's just, it's crazy. It's its just there. Lots of them. Yeah. Well, and the, and the setup, you know, any skeptic will look at the pictures and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's mist or that's, you know, that's some kind of lens flare or something like that. But you had told but me. These look like fingers coming mm -hmm. at you. Like, you can see it's like, it's like where whoever is in the photo, whether it's me or my friend Katie, it's, you can see it coming from all angles right to the person in the picture. It's not like a few pieces of lint going by. And the other thing about that story, if you remember, is my phone died as soon as I started to take pictures and that one crazy pictures and my phone died. Katie's phone did not die. My phone came back on the minute we stepped out of the cemetery. So something was going on there and the pictures speak for themselves. I have not had one paranormal investigator debunk those photos. I probably sent them to about 10 over the years. Not one I said, well, I think it could be. They're like, yep, there it is. They're got it. amazing photos. Are those up on your blog? I can get them up there. Okay, yeah, I'm sure people would love to check those out. Um, well, it, you you mentioned the female guardian spirit. Were you was that the gargoyle type character? Was that a guardian? The gargoyle was a guardian. I just think it was like a guardian spirit just happened to be like, oh, I can't let this guy go out here alone. Like an adult walking a kid across the street because they seem alone. It's a busy street. Who was just kind of helping me. I've just always had this image of a woman. You know, I'm Irish, Catholic. I don't know that's why I associate her with this, but she has just really long, curly red hair, very pale skin, very angelic, um, kind of like the, I think it's, oh, I can't think of his name now. I have one of the paintings behind me on the wall with Gwendolyn knighting uh, King Arthur, or when he was a knight, knighting Arthur. Looks like her. I just always knew she was there. And then I met, I was at a barbecue one time, and it was at night. Most people had gone home. I was sitting out back by myself. And another friend of the host came in through the back gate. And she was like, you mind if I sit with you for a minute? I didn't want to go inside because there are a lot of people there. And then she said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She goes, who's the woman standing behind you with the really long red hair and the pale skin? She goes, I'm asking. I'm a medium. I don't really tell a lot of people. But this is just really, she's like right there. I said, oh, it's my guardian spirit. She goes, well, what's her name? I said, I don't know. She goes, well, have you asked her? I said, no. She goes, all right, before you go to sleep tonight, concentrate on her, and you might know her name in the morning. So I did that, and I woke up in the morning, and I said, Aaron, A-H-R-E-N. I'm like, that's her name. It's Aaron. And then years later, like last year, I have a cousin who's uh, medium, and he literally doesn't tell anybody. He won't do readings. He just passes messages along. I told him that story, and the next day he sent me a picture, the cashier at his grocery store, and then tiniest town in Alaska, his name was Aaron, A-H-R-E-N. He sent me a picture of the name tag. And I was like, well, I don't need any more confirmation than that. 
I mean, I already knew it, but that's the other thing that I'm really good at is manifesting. I mean, my husband's like, can you start manifesting lots of money and not just like songs on the radio and your guardian spirit's name? And like, trust me, I'm trying. I'm literally trying. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, and, and it just, uh, it's very impressive how much confirmation you get um, all of the stories that you tell me like there always seems to be some confirmation and, and outside sources so it's this constant yeah they um... beat me over the head with it They're like, <laughs> yes this happened this is real just gosh just accept it okay here's another proof it's real yeah yeah well when when you were having when you were in that place um with that you know the the guardian and the and the gargoyle do you was that lucid dreaming or was that astral projecting or, or did the astral projecting come later i think it might have been unintentional astral astral projecting if that makes sense i think people who can i think i probably did it a lot as a little kid and i mean you're an actor so didn't you guys you ever do those uh warm-ups where you do the you guys ever do journeys and acting warm-ups? We never did we journeys. No, Walmart. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was so curious what exercises you did. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we do this thing where we like, okay, Will, today it's your turn. Everybody lay on the, on the floor in the back of their eyes closed. And you would take them somewhere you've been. But we all be like floating, like astral projecting there, basically. But we didn't call it that because it was acting. And when I did it, I took them all to Rome because I'd just been there three years before. And I was pointing out all the things I saw and like, I was seeing it in my head. I was there. And when we all got done, everybody sat up and they're like, you can smell that. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Like they could smell the food and you know, they could see things. They just felt it all. And my teacher's like, that was really impressive. That's like the best journey anyone's ever done. I'm like, great. And that's, I got home that night and I was laying in bed and I'm like, Hmm, I'm going to try this. And so I just laid there and just concentrated and I, I didn't know her name then, but called on my guardian spirit. I'm like, you know, watch me here. And these things would happen where I would just feel like I was floating really high up in the air. And then I'd become aware of it. And it's like I fell 10 feet down to my bed. Yeah. And one point I fell off the bed. And my roommate came in and asked if I was okay. I, I was, did that for like two months. I just kept trying it over and over again. And I never really took off and like, you know, went somewhere far. But I got pretty far out of my body enough to know that I was out of it outside of my body and the falling back into it it looks like it does in the movies like that's what it feels like like you fall back into yourself like you're made of liquid and then you fall back into yourself and you're all one thing again but i mean there is the the tethered line is there and it does come from your navel at least for me it did okay so you can actually you you saw the the line yeah because it it's like it's like a really bright white you almost can't see it's hard to explain. It's just, I don't know if I could feel it more than I could see it, but it's definitely there. And I, I knew a girl I knew then, a woman I knew then had told me like, don't ever break that. If you're out there and that breaks, you don't want that to happen. Ooh. It's like, you know, if you're parasailing and your line breaks, you're just gone. Yeah. I, I'd never heard of that being a, a possibility. Yeah. Well, she's like, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's not like a rope you can cut. She's like, but, I think when some people do it, they have ulterior motives or something, and maybe they want to get away from themselves. I don't know, but I always stayed attached. Thank God. Now, I've heard Who knows people... where I'd be floating around right now if I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be bad. Um, so I, I have heard other people, because I, I follow a couple, like, you know, Reddit, subreddits on, on astral projection, because it's such a mystery to me. Um, 
I've heard it described. I'm afraid of Reddit. I won't go on Reddit. I just yeah. think there are too many rabbit oh, holes. It can be a, a little fear mongery. I'm on Instagram and it, and just a little bit of Facebook and that's it. I know I still got to get on TikTok. I haven't done that yet either. Oh, you got to get on TikTok. A lot of great, oh, just great content on there. A lot of a lot of good things that'll inspire you. There, there's some dark corners as there are anywhere else, of course, too. Oh, but, right, um, right. Yeah, I find the, the best things and just the best people on there. Um well, with the with the astral projection, then I'll, I will stop beating this horse over the head. I have heard it described um, like the way it feels a couple of different ways. Like some people will say, OK, it's like it's like a lucid dream like state, um, kind of, you know, floaty, not really physically there. Um, I, and I've also heard people describe it more so like a very detailed imagined experience uh, where they you know akin to somebody like getting lost in a very vivid daydream um and i think those right. two those two are very different descriptions of it and and neither one seems especially like to me anyway like they're not things that are happening anywhere but inside of my own head how do you describe the experiences in like how does it feel it's to me it's like so lucid dreaming is where you kind of guide yourself. Am I right about that? I, uh, yeah, I believe so. Well, you you know okay. you're in a dream and, and you're guiding yourself right, through it. Right. Yeah. So I'm actually pretty good at lucid dreaming. Sometimes I'm falling asleep and I realize I'm there. So I have some fun with it. But the minute I become too aware of it, it's over. And for me, that's kind of what astral projection was like. Lucid dreaming, but almost like you're, there's no gravity. It's just weightlessness. And there was no fear or anything at all, but. I just, I, I knew I was in control of what was happening, but once I became, once my like physical mind became too aware of it, it pulled me back. Like, I don't think our physical mind, I think it's the other side of our brain that would deal with actual projection. And when, you know, the logical side of our brain takes over, we, we come right back. Because it just always, it was very peaceful. It was almost like floating, almost like I was on, I was a kite just loving life up in the air, wherever I was, I couldn't see anything. I'm not that I was in space. I could look back down on earth. It wasn't like that. It was just kind of, I don't know. It was just kind of hard to explain. Almost like when I used to have the night terrors with the, with the gargoyle, it was everything and so scary unless I was with him. But when I was out on this, it was just kind of like just a very peaceful plane. And I think I could have gone anywhere from there, good or bad, but I don't think I ever got past like level one. If astral projection were a game, I conquered level one and that's it. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, since we are getting close to wrapping the episode, I was I was kind of hoping to throw some rando questions at you that I, I like to do in these conversations. I'm, I'm reintroducing it to uh, as a segment. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I couldn't get the couldn't think of how to get these questions in anywhere else. But I want to know. The people want to know, Will. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Very cool. All right. <clears throat> what is a spiritual practice that you have incorporated as a regular occurrence in your life now? Um, being mindful of the good things in my life. I, I make a point to, like, you know, I'm dealing with chronic pain plus a little bit of grief. When I'm feeling good, I mark that every day when the chronic pain isn't there or I'm not feeling grief, I mark it. I'm like, I feel really good right now. And I always make sure I mark the good times and be grateful for them. Oh, that is so awesome. I love that. I love that practice. It's hard to remember to do, you know, sometimes if you're not being it mindful It is hard to remember, it. you know, 
like think of a day like if you've had a really bad toothache, you're like, God, what's it feel like not to have a toothache? So when I have no pain, I'm like, wow, no pain. This is awesome. <laughs> All right. What is something you know, thanks to your empathic abilities, that you wish you didn't? Um, that hate is very real and it's very dangerous when it, it's felt by the wrong people. Anybody who hates is the wrong person, but being an empath, I have, I felt that, that hate that some people have. I told you I used to travel West Virginia for work and I've been some places where I'm just like, I, the hate is real. And I used to believe that hate was just taught, but I do believe that some people are born with it. I think some people are just born bad and that hate is scary. I mean, maybe it's good that I know it, but I, I often wish I didn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see the, the, the good and bad of, of having that knowledge. You know, it's good to be aware, you know, knowledge is never bad, but ugh, to have to have to know <laughs> that that, right. that level. Yeah. All right. Well, so you did mention you, your, your husband is, is a skeptical sort, but I'm curious, where does he currently stand on all of your experiences and abilities? He believes that whatever I say happened to me, happened to me. He doesn't doubt me at all. He clarified one day, he goes, you know, I'm not an atheist. I do believe in some kind of higher power. I just don't think it exists in religion and stuff like that. But, you know, he's also an artist, he's a painter. So he understands like artistic, uh, you know, uh, inspiration and how it comes through you. Like I marvel at his painting, he marvels at my writing, it kind of works out. But yeah, he just, if I believe it, if I tell him it happened to me, it happened to me. When I tell him, you know, these crazy stories about Rocco who just passed away, these little connections, he's like, I believe it. I'm like, do you believe it or you believe it because I believe it? He's like, well, like I said, if you say it happened, it happened. So it's, it's pretty good to be married to a, to a skeptic who accepts what I believe. Yeah, well, it's so supportive, too. I love that that type of support. And, you know, your your partner needs to be, should be uh, the one, uh, you know, that that's supporting you, you know, the strongest like that. Um, and he's had his own um, experiences after Rocco's passing, didn't he? My husband had an experience where both our mothers came through at the same time in separate parts of the house. And my cousin had called me to tell me that my mom was coming through. And then after we talked, I went downstairs and my husband was really upset. And he said he got an overwhelming sense of his mother. And he called his brother and he said, oh, yeah, mom came through. And so for him to have that experience was really awesome for me um, and, and for him. He'd been waiting for it for a few years. But I, I think it just kind of opened him up a little more. Okay. Okay. Next one. I, I got a random one for you. Okay. When you're DJing. What is the go-to song you drop that guarantees the crowd gets pumped up? Don't Stop Believing by Journey. I, I, I DJ 80s music, so it's always Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Oh, yes. That, that'll get, oh, my gosh. I love 80s music. I love it. Lee really turned it's me on, too. It's the greatest thing. Yes. Yes. I was a teenager in the 80s. I went to high school I was from 82 to 86. I, I was, it was the greatest time to be a teenager for music. Oh. <sighs> Do you, do you think it was the last best generation, best time to be alive? You know, it's crazy because the fact that up until the pandemic, I could DJ an 80s night and the bar would pay me extra because it was so packed. Yeah. 80s music has, because I think so many genres were invented in the 80s. I mean, I mean, a lot of it came out in the late 70s, but we took disco and turned it into techno, you know, punk, new wave, 
goth, like, I mean, who ever thought a band like Susie and the Banshees could ever become popular? And then there they are in the 80s having a top 10 hit. You know what I mean? It just, we were listening to everything at once. I was listening to Debbie Gibson, Susie and the Banshees, and Sex Pistols in the same listening session. That was the 80s. <laughs> it was it was certainly a great decade for music specifically, but a, a great decade for creative pursuits of all types. Man. And our clothes were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. All right. All right. Final speed round question. Okay. What is the one thing you hope people will remember about you when you're gone? What they're going to remember about me. I did my best to be a good person and to treat others well. I think that's just kind of my calling. And my only goal in life has ever been to be happy. Oh, wow. I love that. All right. Well, thank you for indulging that. Um, where would you like folks to find and follow you, Will? Well, the blog is William B. Whalen, and that's whale with an N, W-H-A-L-E-N, WilliamBWhalen.com. Awesome. And um, as we close out the episode, are there any final words of wisdom or thoughts that you would like to leave with anyone listening? I think if I could leave people with anything, it would be concentrate on the good in your life and don't give the bad any more energy than it deserves. It deserves some, but don't give it any more than it deserves. And also concentrate on the people who are in your life and not the people who won't participate in your life. They're not worth your time either. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time, Will, and I appreciate uh, your patience so that we could get this all set up and uh, and go. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I had a great time. Thank you again, sincerely, to Will. Uh, today's episode was really just the tip of the iceberg, let me tell you guys. I met this cat a few months back after he messaged me following the story behind the Exorcist episode that came out. He told me about a rather incredible connection he has to that story, which um, unfortunately we did not get to today, along with a few encounters with apparitions that uh, I know you all would dig. So really hoping to have him back on again in the future. Before I sign off for today, I wanted to draw your attention to something special I've been keeping my trap shut about, and I've just been bursting to tell you, and now I can. At DaveZilla.art over on Instagram has officially launched his Kickstarter campaign today for a tarot deck he's been designing now for a couple of months. With a background in filmmaking, I intimately understand how difficult it can be to have a successful crowdfunding campaign, so I wanted to share it now with you guys and try to spread the word. I've been watching the designs he's been sharing every week, and you guys, this deck needs to see the light of day. It is rad. It features cryptids, UFOs, portals, uh, government cover-ups, and all sorts of other paranormal oddities. Um, I am personally going to be pitching in because I believe in the project, but also picking up a deck for every member of my family because it is just the coolest gift. And the thing I had to keep my pie hole shut about, well, he said it first, so I, I can tell you now, you may find a familiar face peeping up at you from one of the cards. Something about it's gonna stir something in your memory. You might ask yourself, do I know? this person? 
I'm not going to name names, but you know, it's me. Uh, I do make a guest appearance in the deck. So go show some love or share it on your socials. It takes but a moment. Let's get the word out. I will have that link down in the show notes. Join me next week for another Between the Seasons conversation with my first returning guest, paranormal investigator Jason Fife. He and his team just investigated a location up in their neck of the woods, and from what I understand, they got some really interesting evidence. So, gonna have him back on to tell us all about that. Follow the show on the socials at Paranorm Girl Pod. Submit your stories and snag you a coffee mug or some other cool merch item at ParanormGirlPod.com. That's a wrap. Until we meet again, dear listener, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.